1: well, one of the perplexing themes in the media industry that is yet to resolve itself is two trends which seem entirely at odds with each other. On the one hand, we have this big mega trend for consolidation and scale being driven by industry for efficiency and simplification. And on the other, we see consumers driving a counterforce for niche and narrow content, which tends to find deeply engaged and sometimes passionate audiences. So what does the outlook for independent and startup media Innovators look like, particularly if they're eyeing in some part an advertising supported model. I've seen and heard critics a plenty bag legacy media for being old and slow and that digital pure plays are the new superstars. Think Buzzfeed, Vice, Vox and so on. Well, they really worked, didn't they? Yes, those pure plays built audiences, but they could not monetize effectively when relying on the ad industry and traditional ad supported models. So what's going on in Australia among the crazies who are still having a go in media despite the ominous signs? Today, we have a bunch of them talking it through with Starcom's CEO, Nick Keenan, representing the Consolidation and Scale camp, or at least I think he does. He might. We, we may beg to differ in a minute. So let's bring this one on. Welcome Kylie Merritt, former Sky News commercial boss who left to start the Ausbiz channel with David Kosh. Joining Kylie is Ben Sykes, commercial director at Car Expert, a new venture from the founders of Car Advice who sold their business to Nine for circa $70 million before Nine binned the brand. Kate Watson is also with us from The Squiz, a daily newsletter and podcast for women, founded by Claire Kimball, the former Federal Coalition Government Advisor and Corporate Affairs Head at Woolworths. The Squiz is backed by an investment fund led by ex foxtel CEO Peter Tonner. And finally, as I said, we have Nick Keenan, CEO of media agency Starcom, part of the giant French communications outfit publicist group. Now, thanks all for joining. I'm looking forward to this one. I'm going to ask you each uh, to outline your background and what led to the madness of starting a media company in today's world, when you know all the signs say maybe we shouldn't, and I'm myself included in that. So I'll go to uh, Kylie Merritt first. Welcome, Kylie. And the most recent uh, high-profile role, I guess, was was Sky News. But tell us, what were you thinking when you did OzBiz? What happened?
2: <laughs> well, according to you, I'm both crazy and mad. So <laughs> yes. who knows? Um, look, I've my background is business journalism. I've had a, a bunch of different roles um, as a, a reporter, a presenter, but then. As my career progressed, um, I found I was enjoying being behind the camera far more, I did some stuff in digital, in production, um, and in commercial. And then, um, you know, I was the commercial director at Sky for a while. And then you left out of your intro, I, I don't know whether you were trying to be kind, that I was also the CEO of Your Money, um, which was a joint venture between Sky and Nine. Um, and that lasted about three and a half seconds, was, didn't it, Colin? <laughs> it a little, it was just a touch longer than that. <laughs> um, but look, I guess, you know, since I started, you know, I started in journalism, I think I did three years in, in general news, and then, you know, straight into finance. And that's where I've always been, and it, it's what I love. I, I love having that niche that you um, that you can cover properly and, and really well. Um, and you find it really interesting. It's it's. I just find it far more engaging um, and enjoyable than just you know trying to do general news and be across everything. Um, we decided after that three and a half seconds of, of your money that um, there was there was still an opportunity that was on the table for. Um, a, a business product, some kind of business television product. And so, your Money closed in May 2019, and sort of a, a few months after that, we we started working properly on the, the concept of, of AusBiz.
1: And what is it, Kylie? What is, for those that don't know, what is AusBiz? I'm
2: getting to that. Uh, so oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> I'm impatient, aren't I?
2: So we, we launched, uh, we raised some capital. We launched on the 30th of March la- last year, obviously, middle of pandemic. That was fun. So we're a business and finance streaming channel. We decided to take, you know, what is a sort of a traditional Live rolling, you know, business channel like your CNBC or your Bloomberg or whatever, and and do it purely as a streaming offering, which, um, you know, purely from a monetary point of view, takes a, a lot of the the expense out of doing it in the traditional way. Um, so we have 16 people. Um, we're based at Barangaroo. We do eight hours a day live. Um, so that's about 60 interviews a day, and um, we make about two thirds of those available as VOD, plus some about four specific shows that we do. Um we're so we're just over a year old we've got 36,000 subscribers um people are watching uh on the website on average on the live stream for about 27 minutes um but we're also available on 7+ and Samsung TV and that um the view time there is much higher it's about 41 minutes um you know obviously it's a, it's a TV product uh we do two podcasts we have a daily newsletter we do lots of social for those who aren't in the finance world. AusBiz is actually the hashtag that, like AusPol, Ozbiz is what everybody in finance kind of hashtags when they're discussing what's going on in the markets. I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of go into the engagement piece a bit longer, but those view times are sort of, to me, that's my goal. That's what we're kind of building something where people will spend a, a really good chunk of their time um, engaging with us.
1: So really quickly, I mean, we we your are elaborate. Uh, offices in Barangaroo, but it's it's fascinating. to see, Kylie, because you know it's a very lean outfit, and you know you talked when we were walking through just h- how many people you have producing this versus what you did have, say at Sky and Beyond. We're talking sort of one like one fifth, really, of 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 the of the uh, resources. Would that be fair?
2: The cost base is significantly lower. Part of that is. Part of that is the fact that we decided, you know, we only stream for eight hours a day because we really just want to cover the markets. And most people are quite happy to watch our stuff on demand anyway. So rather than, you know, triple your costs by running 24 hours a day, you just stream live for eight. You know, we're not Channel 9 news. It's not super shiny with all those bits and pieces going on. But, you know, it can be done with one person. And that's that's a really important part of our model.
1: We'll look forward to looping back around on the other part of your model, which is uh, how you make a quid. Ben Sykes, uh, welcome. Car expert, a new play in town. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, the founders were, you know, in another car uh, sort of uh, site that uh, they sold and should be smiling about. But what? tell us a little bit about what car expert is doing and why. Yeah,
3: look, uh, it's, it's really based on an old thing that, that was car advice. So um, we all worked together over there. I was a good 10 years at, at car advice with the founders there. It was abundantly clear on, on Nine's plan for the business. Um, they, they saw an opportunity at a, at a market level to create a number two to car sales. Um, we don't think consumers want a number two to car sales. that has been there, done that with Cars Guide and others. Um, and we, we saw an opportunity to go back to what we did when we created Car Advice and that was create good, honest, truthful content uh, written for the layman and the laywoman. Uh, when looking to buy a new car. And that's, put simply, what we did. Um, we we do very little news. Um, we do news that matters when it comes to new cars. But it's, it's single car reviews and comparisons spelt out simply for consumers. How much does it cost? What do you get? How safe is it? What does it drive like? Should I buy it? Um, very, very basic stuff. And, Look, so far the consumer response has has been fantastic, Um, the the news today that um, Nine is continuing its plans to turn off car advice will create another opportunity for us. There is no dedicated player to automotive review content in Australia. We will fill that gap.
1: We're going to get to more of that and I think you've got a really interesting business model too by the sounds of which we'll get to in in a few minutes. Kate Watson, welcome from the Squiz. You were there from the get go. For those that don't know, my wife is a big fan, by the way, but what the hell is The Squiz?
0: The Squiz. The squeeze has been going now for four, over four years. We began as a, a weekday news email. Claire and I sort of hatched the idea over a glass of red wine one night. We both are former political staffers.
1: Red wine will do that, Kate, won't it?
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute treat. Basically, it, we just found like our personal experience of news was that it was really difficult to find news without an agenda that was fun to read, that was engaging. It was kind of like your mate having a chat with you and just telling you what's going on. So Claire's vision for the Squeeze Today email really was around filling a gap for that audience of people, which is smart, busy women. So it was it was her and I I am aware I just told everyone I think I'm smart (laughs) don't know how that's gonna play but that is that is who we were going for Kylie's the target market market as well she's (laughs) been across this from the beginning also so we set ourselves a goal to hit 10,000 subscribers Uh, in 10 months with a 50% daily open rate. And if we hit that, the deal was I would quit my job and join Claire and figure out a way to commercialise what we were doing. So that's sort of... You should talk a bit about that job, Kate, that you quit. That job I quit working with Kylie at Sky News.
1: Ah, it's all all in a loop here, right. It's all in a loop.
0: Um, From there, we've expanded into podcasts. We now have uh, four Podcasts: Three of them are daily podcasts, one for kids, one for sport. Squiz Today is our sort of our flagship podcast, which Claire and I host, um, which has been which is sort of the first daily news podcast in Australia, at least. Um, that's been going for a while now. And um, Shortcuts is our weekly podcast, which is the background to the news. All of those, aside from Squiz Kids, are supported by ad revenue. That's how we make our money. The big question mark for our business is what is the model outside of ad revenue, which is a it hangs over our head at all times and it's something we're working through at the moment.
1: Yeah, and we're gonna to get to that. So your audience is is obviously women, how many? What's your subscribers? How does it just a top line quick fix on the numbers there?
0: Fifty five thousand email subscribers now, very deliberately grown slowly to make sure that our engagement's really high. So our open rates on the email are 40%, our email database engage with 75% engage at least once a week. That's how we sell what we do. Podcast about 250,000 listens a week. We're one of the larger podcasts in the country now. But again, we're really looking at listen through rates, um, how often people are listening, how consistent the numbers are every day. Uh, So the measures are not how many people we can reach. The measure is how much they love what we do and how much they trust us.
1: Got it. So let's now loop rack around to all of you quickly on the business model uh, before we get uh, Mr. Keenan in to uh, spouse on his his observations on the market. So Kylie, to you, um, in terms of your business model, how are you monetizing? And tell us a little bit uh, about how, how you're monetizing uh, the ad market, media agencies, advertisers, partners? What's what's worked, what hasn't? Give us it in a in a you know exact summary.
2: Okay, a really short. So, so we currently have three revenue streams, and there are sort of two more on the horizon. But um, the the three main ones are what we call content sales. So of those 60 interviews that we do a day, um, a portion of those people will purchase them afterwards to use for their own. Like these are people think about stockbrokers, fund managers, um, advisors. They will take those interviews, uh, we'll turn them around, give them to them within 60 minutes usually um, and they will then send them, often they'll put them on their LinkedIn but a lot of the time they use them for sort of comms um, with their clients. Um, And I should say, again, I, you know, we talked about this the other day, Paul, this is a this is a hill that I will die on. Um, we could get a really big sugar hit if we turn this channel into a place where people could pay to come on and we'd sell them that content. Um, we don't do that. We don't do any paid editorial whatsoever. You, you cannot pay to come on. So all of that kind of content sales piece happens um, after the fact. And the people who actually book all the guests have no idea who buys them and, and who doesn't? So I'm, I just always want to be really clear about that.
1: Yeah, well, can I say you're you're much purer than I am, sorry, Kylie, but keep going. <laughs>
2: That's what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm a journal. I can't help myself. Um, uh, the other ways so we have when we built the studio here, we actually built two. So um, our second revenue stream is uh, production. We do a lot of sort of virtual investor events, investor road shows, um, webinars for really only people in finance. We don't sort of spruik our wares outside our our niche. Um, but we do do a lot of production for people in there and that's a, um, that's a really good revenue stream. It, you know, it doesn't rely on advertising and and partnerships, which is, I'll get to that now, was not the, the model of a media business that I really wanted to build because as we all know, it's just, really hard and I knew we were going to be small and lean and I wasn't going to have a sales team who could be, you know, running around answering media briefs, you know, all day, every day. So we do have, um, an advertising and partnerships Revenue line, and it's it's actually, to be honest, a lot bigger than I thought it would be. But pretty much all of that revenue um, has come from direct relationships that we've got with people in finance, and it's very much targeted around um, you know partnerships as opposed to traditional, you know, we don't sell 30-second TVCs. Um, we don't kind of do that sort of stuff. We don't have ad servers. It's, it's not about that. So people might take kind of a sponsorship of one of our shows for six months, um, and there's some traditional stuff around there brought to you and and all that. But, you know, we, we put their logos on our data boards and that sort of stuff to ensure there's reach and frequency. But it's not, you know, we, we don't, we don't. sorry, Nick, We I don't think I've had a conversation with anyone in agency land in the last year because we're just not big enough.
4: Yeah, and Nick Keenan is a big shot, so fair point. I'll
2: have a meeting with you, Nick. I'll pitch to you.
1: Okay, <laughs> you're
4: all welcome. And uh, we will meet with anybody and anyone that's got something of value. Yes, <laughs>
1: Ben Sykes. So I'll get to you in a minute, Kate, but um, Ben Sykes, uh, you've got a really interesting sort of twist on uh, how you commercialise commercializing. Talk us through quickly what that looks like. Yeah,
3: look, we, we've got a couple of twists, um, t- to be honest. But look, on the online side of things, we, we don't believe in display advertising, um, and so we don't do it. Um, I, I don't understand why a 0.2% or 0.1% click-through rate has ever been celebrated. Um, they're, they're built to disrupt, and, and when you're coming to a website like ours for independent, trustful information, why do you want an advertiser disrupting you? Um, we had feedback from the industry that you know the whole Toyota, you put Toyota ads on your keywords, or if you don't, Mazda's going to buy them up. Um, it, it never sat comfortably with me. Um, it never sat comfortably for the industry, so we got rid of it. Um, put simply, um, you know our, our model is to connect people from our review content uh, back to the, the car manufacturer's website simply and easily. So we, we do it natively, we do it with um, contextual text links so if the guys talk about, look this is a car you should go and test drive for yourself, we'll, we'll hyperlink that word test drive and send them back to the Booker Test Drive page on Mazda, Toyota, Hyundai or Kia. Um, if we talk about you know pricing information, we'll hyperlink that back. Uh, to the, the pricing and specs information that, that a car manufacturer has and is ready to go. Um, we sell it all purely on a CPC, the click-through rates are astounding, the average is 10% um, right the way through um, and you can imagine the conversion rate on that click is, is substantially higher as well. You know, if you're clicking book a test drive, guess what chances are you want to book a test drive. Um, the other one for us is look, we we still need a way to be able to drive consideration for brands that aren't being considered, um, but but we've we've embraced more of a, an off-platform approach. Um, so we work fairly heavily with Google there. Um, so if somebody's typing in I don't know Mazda three review, uh, it presents an opportunity for a competitor brand to try and disrupt them there. So put simply, we'll, we'll go into Google there by the Google ad and say, hey, thinking of a Mazda three. You should also consider this car. We've reviewed this car via 10 categories. Find out more here. Um, So it's an amplification plan strategy and it it looks to drive consideration there. So those are are the two online platforms. Um, More recently, we've we've, uh, launched a, a retail offering. So we've taken our online business and created a physical presence inside Westfield in Sydney's Northern Beaches, where we do the exact same thing. People can look and explore cars from multiple segments, multiple brands, receive independent advice um, without fear of a salesperson going, what have I got to do to get you into a car today? Um, and and from a car company's standpoint, um, the insights and data that come along with that are quite powerful. Um, consumers end up in a better car for them, um, and car companies end up marketing or creating better cars for
1: consumers just um, before we get to kate great uh, great outline uh when you talk about that clickback or the cpc that you hyperlink in in your in your reviews ben there's a pre-arranged fee that you will charge the car manufacturer and also on top of that that's the first question the second bit what happens if your review shit what if your, your review is not complementary of the model so it is a
3: pre-arranged cpc we know roughly how many clicks we're going to get we've, we've been there done that in terms of these sort of native links so we know the rough volume that we're going to get and, and look, if if, if we, we don't hit it, we'll, we'll roll it over. Haven't had too many of those yet, but there has been the odd case here or there. Um, in terms of positivity, look, we, we live and die by our trust factor. So the, the moment I'm getting people uh, embedding links or, or promoting content to a quote-unquote shit car, it, it, it's pointless for us. We, we lose trust, we lose credibility, we lose our audience we, we don't really vet our comments like the others do, so, so we'll know about it in the comments if, if we're, we're trying to sneak one under. So we're fortunate that there's not too many shit cars in Australia, but there are some, um, and we've had to turn down money as a result. Look, the hope and the emphasis, as I said, is car companies start making better better cars. More often than not, it's not the car that's better, it's whether or not it's, it's got all the safety features and mechanisms that really hold modern cars back. And look, as a as a father with young kids, if a car's not safe, I, I don't I don't feel
1: comfortable in promoting it either. So yeah, look, trust is everything for us. We won't compromise it. Kate, quickly, uh, how are you monetizing, and what is your world looking like? Yeah,
0: it's a bit of a combination of both of what the other two said, so I can probably be fairly brief for you. Um, we are purely ad revenue at this point, um, but our ad revenue has been, and the way that we find it has been very deliberately targeted, direct relationships, and to be honest, mainly corporate comms budgets rather than marketing budgets. The reason being we're news. Um, it's difficult to line news up with corporate comms messaging um, for a lot of corporate comms people. So some of our big clients are, are Combank, Uber, Bupa, um, those three just as you as you can tell have issues in market with trust they've had issues with trust they really need to line themselves up with brands that that are that are highly trusted so that trust point is really important for us Um, also on a scale point working directly with agencies isn't really something that i can see as lucrative at this point having said that there is some incremental revenue we're booking Via our pub, our podcast publishing platform Acast, but again to come back to Ben's point, we're pretty choosy about who we put in our podcast and who we put in our email, uh, and the reason being that we can't we can we just can't jeopardise that trust that we have with our audience. Our audience is smart. They know that they know we need advertising, they know it's free. So we have to be super careful and work really, really hard on what content we put in there to make a real effort to make it relevant to them. So that's sort of been the whole strategy behind the squeeze. One thing my experience in media was there's a lot of bolt-ons, there's a lot of value ads. Every single product we put out has a revenue line um, and has a business model that underpins it. There's no, oh, let's just whack an event on top of that, or oh, we'll just do that, or it's uh it's very, very, a very, very strict. Spreadsheet under me as commercial director.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Kate, and That's some. Um, that's a very pithy summary. So well done on that's that. Right. We'll get you to answer some more questions. And um, so Nick Keenan, um, you've heard. You know, you've heard a variety here of uh, quite a diverse variety of of, of media types, media companies that, that are that are in startup or young at least what do you make of that and 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 to the broader point we talked about in in the intro what is the future what's your take from the big end of town and scale and consolidation that's what you're looking for um, how does this fit with uh, those two opposing forces that at least I've I put forward and you may say that that's completely incongruous but you know scale and consolidation versus niche and depth of engagement um, Let's hear your thoughts on it, Keenan.
4: Yeah, look, I mean, firstly, um, I'll start by paid media, which is part of what we do, um, is increasingly becoming, um, you know, part of a much bigger a much bigger outcome in terms of the group marketing s- services that we provide. So if you have a look at what we, what we call a growth loop when we attack a client problem, we look at their direct-to-consumer, we look at paid media, we look at, um, hopefully, we've got the data and analytics, right? We've got access to good first-party data. Um, and when we do that, Uh, we can then wrap that in creativity. So I think just to start with guys, it's it's not so much about the paid um, media anymore. And in future it's going to be less and less about that. It's it's that's an important part when we think we need to, you know, top up that really transactional conversion bottom of the funnel and, I think Ben mentioned, you know, whether it's buying keywords and overlaying or or we're not into really interested in tricking someone to go, um, you know, into a particular client that's not really interested because we're more interested in mapping out the customer journey and that whole CX and linking that with their business operations so that there's no cognitive dissonance between what our client is advertising and the experience that they're getting when they come into that ecosystem, right? So, um, it's paid media is is obviously a, a core part of what we do, but... But it is more about linking that, um, paid and transactable media to the platforms that are, that are, that are, um, you know, processing the information and engaging with the customers in their direct to consumer platform. So, um, you know, uh. A lot of the work that we've done recently is how do we take the paid media? Where, what role does it play when we're building their DMP? When we're accessing their CDP? If we're building those things for them, or we're linking into some of so the. Just
1: in case, in case we we boggle our our, our listeners with um, acronyms, uh, you know, CDP customer data platform, DMP data management platform. Yeah. So keep going. Sorry, continue, Nick.
4: So so when we go and have a look at, um, you know, if if we take um, some of the work that we do uh for t- tourism bodies it's it's looking at that id based profiling it's you know what's happening on their website uh where is the intent forming what type of person's coming in there what are the points of interaction um, that we can take data points and leverage and then start profiling what first party data helps where do we overlay where do we integrate and where does paid media come in to top up the bucket so it's become a far more complex ecosystem and the reason i call that out it's not just about paid media um it, it it really and so when we get back to and I'll link this back to, you know, what I've been listening to in, in independence, if there's something of value and and, and again, when you look at the, uh, I guess, where people want to take this conversation, which is your mass media, your Channel 9s, I think were mentioned, yeah, they've got a, they're got big established networks. Um, they've got big audience bases. And, and we can argue to the end of the day whether there's trust in the content and the news that they bring. Um, um, but at the end of the day, they have a large audience. And that plays a significant role when we need to get a creative message to the right customer at the right time using their network. And and we do that really effectively. And yes, it's good to have a lot of people there because that paid media, you want to get as many eyeballs as possible. But when you look at an independent media, if there's something of innate value that we're either getting from content or there's, you know, if there's a production value, I mean, we have our own production services within our own holding group, but if there's, if there's something unique about the content and the particular customer that's engaging with that content, I think Kate um, mentioned, you know, those particular working women and what they're doing and how they're engaging with that news and content, and we've got a relevant uh, product or client that wants to engage with that audience, then absolutely. That, But I don't put that out just under a paid media bucket. And, that, and that's why I call out how – I wouldn't say it's complex, but I, I think when we look at paid media, direct-to-consumer platforms, and the data and analytics that brings the two together, and the overlay of creativity – so that you can communicate in an engaging way. That's the ecosystem we're all playing in, whether you're independent, whether you're a large scale media or whether you're a media buyer such as ourselves.
1: So two questions there, Nick. One is that you're right. You know, paid media is a component of what you're doing now, but it's still a fifteen billion dollar, circa fifteen billion dollar sector, right? There's still a lot of money ploughing into that. So as much as it may be part of what what you're doing now, it's still it's still a significant bit of money that floats around the market to be tapped. That's the first question, our uh, first point. But I guess the the, the if I'm hearing you right the opportunity possibly here for uh, Indies is the same as any other media companies. How do they loop into that that customer journey that you're trying to map and, and whether it be paid media or data or engaged somewhere in the journey, you're suggesting that there's an opportunity there. Um, I think you're suggesting that, Nick, but if you are, the question then is do they really, uh, have you got the wherewithal and does big, do big blue chips have the wherewithal to want to deal with multiple little smaller players like like we're talking here.
4: Yes and no and, and and I'm not trying to sit on the fence but let me do the yes first. Yes because what you're talking about is premium content or a premium audience because it's it's niche it's highly engaged. It's highly trusting of the environment that they're in and they're not getting it from somewhere else. So they they're a premium audience. They they're far more qualified than say a um if we go back to you know a CPM buy versus 1 to 1 connection when you know mobile advertising um, started to, to explode and, and start to get the scale that it did. The big key selling point to clients was well, we've gone from a CPM television buy in the analog world to a one-to-one connection. So you need to think about how you're delivering that on their phone because it's, it's, it's face-to-face almost, right? Instead of a one-size-fits-all blast-out 30 seconds. So you've got – that's a what I would call, yeah, scale of audience and scale of mass-produced content. Like there's an abundance of that. But it it's, doesn't make it any less valuable because you're still getting a message that if it's designed to do a CPM buy and send out one creative message in the hope of interacting and converting a small percentage of those people, then that's, that plays its role. Getting down to more of the premium content um, are we getting something from the data that Ben uh, mentioned in, in terms of you know wh- those points of interactivity that he's getting from customers engaging with his network? What do we learn from that? Maybe it's a it's a it's a it's the, there is some data that we can leverage, um, and then the engagement is there. So so it's it's but premium content is labor intensive. Premium content is more difficult to activate, and premium content requires both client agency and their media provider. Um, to put a fair amount of effort in it to 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 to, to bring it together in a, in a relevant way. So it's got to be of innate value and it's got to be relevant to the client and we've got to be able to um, be in a position where we're A, remunerated uh, to bring that to life um, and I mean the independent media in in, in that as well um, and, and that's where it gets a bit tricky. And is it something that we can't replicate or grab by doing a scaled, a more of the scaled paid media buy?
0: It's so fair what you're saying, Nick, because – it is on independent media to make it easier for you or to make it really, really, really super valuable. And I think this is a key question that certainly I've been grappling with. Kylie and I have had these conversations for a couple of years now. We had a, an event that we put on called the Upstarts a couple of years ago, Paul, I think you might know about it, where we got a group of independent media companies and presented to agencies. Um, and I think it's still a big question mark. Are we better together? as independents, or are we all going it alone and figuring out our own way to engage agency budgets? I don't know the answer, but I, I think it is a really big question um, and there's an opportunity there somewhere.
4: So there's just one point I wanna make. We all, whether we um, engage as much as we would like to, and look, you know, again, there is there is where you are KPI with your clients to spend and and there's all sorts of difficulties with that, but the, all that excuses aside, we are very interested in looking for something of innate value and finding that, um, finding those really valuable audiences, um, and engaging our clients. Because that's when we really get the pat on the back. We don't get a, I don't get rung up on a Sunday night saying, geez, my, you know, my, my, my 15-second spot." You know my automated programmatic and your fi- the 15 second spot that was just during 60 minute. You know, Nick, how did you do that? Like that was amazing. Thank you. Um, no one ever rings up and says. But when we get something really of innate value in a in a unique um, in a and that's something that's got really, really innate value from something that isn't being leveraged as, as part of the, the normal way that we're, that we're building media communications or that creative messaging and, and, and that ecosystem I mentioned before. When we do something really special, that's when um, we get a stronger relationship with our clients. So we are always looking for it. We often will go down the path of exploring it and finding that it just it's not going to work because of a variety of reasons. But when it does, that's when you know the magic happens. And and so we are we, we do have a uh, we have a policy internally where we try to meet with and an, um you know an independent uh, uh, media provider relevant to our client at least on a on a monthly basis with the, with those teams. Whether whether we we get that right every month, um I I certainly haven't audited it, but but that is the intent so that we can find those those special moments and the magic that we can create to a campaign we, we are kpi'd in many respects to try and find that 10 but but it's not easy and 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 often we might be growing the business you know um in some cases if it's growing and hitting all the kpis or conversely what we're doing is growing double digits or in, you're in that wonderful territory there isn't an appetite for anything innovative and so um we have to continually push that but it's 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 not always um, it's not always something that we're asked or paid to do.
1: Nick, one more question for you: So If we were to broaden the premise out, which we talked about, maybe in paid media is scale and consolidation versus, you know, niche and fragmented and deeper engagement, all that stuff. If we say we take that and broaden it from media to everything you're talking about, which is you know involvement, it's somewhere in the customer journey, and can independents do it? It still begs the question, though: Can indies get the, find the scale? To, to, to meet what you're looking for, even if it's beyond the paid media to the journey, because this is the dilemma that I think still faces, it's still a resource issue for them. And if it's you're just talking about paid media and sales teams, now suddenly you've got to have a, a data stack or a tech stack that's gonna spit out the data that you guys need to find the little magic happening. So can it still, and I'm gonna ask all the panelists that too, but Nick, is it, is it, is it does it hold?
4: well i think i think the wonderful thing about a lot of the marketing tech now is it's making it far easier for an independent to get scale of audience and when you look at and you add that and disseminate that through or distribute that through the various different social platforms um you're getting your 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 distribution of content if if you go analog age versus what we're in today i mean there's never been a better time to be an independent to try and propagate your content and find the right audience and get in front of them i mean I, i i just so and and the tech is getting better at its points of integration, it's getting far easier to. Whereas, if I even go back two or three years ago, everyone was buying every black box on the market, and of course, none of it was. It was. It was just making if things harder and harder and harder to, to to integrate and link together. Particularly when you're looking at a a type of audience, and you're getting down to that. Depending on how detailed you go with that demographic profile, profiling, and the different types of creative formats you're using, um, this that complexity still exists, but it is getting easier. I'm not sure a collective bargaining. Um, here's a collective audience because what we're really your value is your niche audience and how and how engaged they are and, and we're not looking for scale if um in 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 that scenario. Um, I think collective bargaining, where I read country newspapers coming together to negotiate with Facebook and Google, different story altogether, right? Because it's it's a collective bargaining commercial outcome that if that content pops up they get paid. But but from a from a, a media buyer's got to look at it from the lens of his client. They've got to look at the CX journey that, that, that advertising is 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 promoting and the points of interactivity with their customer base. And where does that then go through into their own ecosystem, those direct to consumer platforms and is that business experience integrated, so you're not creating that cognitive dissonance where the customer goes, hang on, I thought that company stood for this, I thought their experience was that, and my own experience is, is completely the opposite, right? Because that, will, that, that complaint will get scale. And so I guess where the challenge for us is, we are so far down the path of integrating paid media with their direct-to-consumer platforms that then we're being asked to bring in and look and focus on independence, we've got to find where they fit within that.
1: Kylie Merritt, got any thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I guess for me, like, I, I feel like the disconnect is more around, you know, the, the process. So, um, you know, when, you know, when I was at Sky and we do a lot of work with MCN... Um and, and there's this there's this process that you all would know very well, you know, the, the, the media agency gets a brief from the client, they turn it into or budget from the client for a specific um a specific campaign, they turn it into a brief, you know, it goes out to everybody um generally with forty-eight hours to respond. Um and so that's where you need to have, you know, we up until recently the only person selling anything at Osby's was me. Um, as well as everything else, so you know you do need to have scale in a media business to be able to be responding to those briefs um, in a timely manner. Trying to think of something that's you know clever and and adds value.
4: Kylie, I'll challenge. I'll challenge the 48 hours. I, I'm, I very rarely see a 40 unless it's a tactical drop of money that's already built in an annualised campaign or a three or six. That is that is such a cliched agency you've got 48 hours to respond and we pick and choose i just i'm sorry that that is not how we work
3: nick no nick you, you're right in that more often than not it doesn't happen but i, I, I it, it still happens it still happens and it might not be 48 anymore it might be 72 your your agency and your, your entire group are, are, are pretty good but it does happen and more often than not you're right it's tactical I think the area that independence needs to grow on, and Nick's exactly right, it's not coming together and trying to sell universal engagement. Mm-hmm it's coming together and trying to figure out the technology that helps agencies better understand what we do.
2: But should we all be on one platform that would make it easier for us to Yeah. And
0: to be clear, that's what I was that's what I was getting at. I'm not I'm not suggesting you're going to buy one big bulk of stuff across.
2: Nielsen
3: yeah. and IAB do us no favors. There, there is nothing there that allows us to to measure engagement effectively. Nothing that allows Nick and his teams to be able to go I can go reach over here, but these guys have got like an average page duration of 12 minutes on my content. Um, I'm going to go over there. There's, there's nothing there that does that. And it's all good and well me reporting Google Analytics back to Nick's team at the end of every month going, you know what, I, I got the Jeep Gladiator 15 minutes with every single person that read it. That's a great story, but how do I back that up? That's all my stuff. I need Nick and I need Nick's clients to be able to see that. Um, and if there's a way in which independents can come together uh, and go look we do have an engaged audience let's come together and figure out a way that allows agencies to be able to see it better and buy it better then then i think we're off to the races i've, I've been fortunate i'm a, I'm an independent i'm a niche but i'm not small um you know there's only a million people that buy a new car every year and in market they three months so Half a million is a big audience in in new car. Anything more is wastage. Um, so so I'm fairly fortunate, and I'm an outlier. But even still, I, I, I get car companies really strong average page duration, but it doesn't fit into a box of of agencies to report it or or marketing managers at at, at, at car companies either. It's it's my it's my data. It's my site. It's my Google Analytics. And unless I open Pandora's box and go, well, you can just have access to it, there's, there's no way to communicate that. And that's where I think we're left out is, is people like IAB, people like Nielsen, similar web try, but again, I, I, I question their, their data and insights more often than not. I think if there was a way in which we could come together to help each other not to sell but to communicate, then then I think we're all better off.
0: To open the door, yeah, and I think um, I think that's a that is the point. Like, how do we how do we knock down the door? Because the exciting thing is, all of us, like all three of us sitting here, have invested heavily in making sure we have great data and we have all the information that we can prove to you means our audience is strong and engaged. And I mean, we at the Squeeze have worked so hard to be best in market on reporting and we survey our audience we ask them how they felt about our advertisers we ask them all of that stuff is being done it's just how do we present it in a way that makes it compelling enough that you go you're on our books we're gonna you know this is this is how we will work with you
2: yeah because it's not lined up against other people doing the same stuff with Nielsen and IAB and I think just just where I was going sorry with with that sorry um the 48 hours 72 hours whatever it is. I mean I haven't to be honest I haven't been in the you know I haven't been getting briefs for a couple of years so maybe it's maybe it has
1: Your nick you know, suddenly got better, better. Well,
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but no where I was going with that whole story was so the way we sell is is not not by sort of getting a brief and then almost trying to you know, shove our content into, well, we've got this stuff that would fit that is what's worked really well for us is, you know, we let our people who are experts at um, creating content in this, you know, quite niche place but we do it well, um, we come up with concepts for shows and programming and then something will come along and we'll go, oh, wow, like that would be perfect for X and we know it's perfect for X because we know our market so well. Like it's it's all we do. We just do finance. We're talking to these people day in, day out. They're in our office all the time. You know, we know what their pain points are. We know who they're trying to reach, all of that stuff. We know them, um, you know, almost as well as they know themselves, it feels like sometimes. And so you, you come up with this idea for a, a show that you think will be great and really engaging and lots of people want to watch it. And then you'll go, oh, I know like one business that that would be perfect for. And our conversion rate of doing things this way is um, it, it, we're talking like fifty percent, probably. So we will take them that concept and say, "What do you think about this? You know, it's it's fifty grand, it's a hundred grand, whatever it is for six months." Um, and like I said, like forty to fifty percent of the time, we will get someone on board with that because we've thought we've flipped it and we've we've.
1: But Kylie, it is high touch. It's high touch and it's high curation. Yeah,
2: but I, I don't have the. I also don't have. You know all of the costs of running a News Corp or a Fairfax with that, so it's high touch. But you know fifty thousand dollars to a hundred or a hundred thousand dollars to a company that only has sixteen employees, it- it's material. It's
1: material, yeah. Nick, can I ask? Uh, Nick, can I ask? um Let's say whatever this thing is. Let's call it at the moment a unified independent tech stack. What does it look like? How 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 do how do you but how do they, what do the indies do with this this technology and data feed that you're talking about where that may be a collective option rather than the collective sell option? Maybe you could just flesh that out a little bit and what could what it could look like.
4: There's a couple of things. I think Kate mentioned that there's the various different you know, maybe we should Try and commit to being on a on a similar platform, which would make it easier, so that the you know the data is easier to access or extract, or whatever the inventory is, or whatever the content that um, you know we're trying to leverage, um, and that you know maybe that would that that would help. I think Ben mentioned that the IAB and, and Nielsen doesn't doesn't really do uh, the Indies any favors, and and obviously those two organisations are when it comes to certainly marketing technology and the way that content they're looking for standardisation, right? I mean the, the IAB's original. Um, when it was, you know, when it was born, and if I go back to my career starting in 1998, when it all began, it was just basically to get some file memory sizes in banners so that no one would go over, so that you could, you could, you could send out a um, uh, one file, one, one, you know, one ring to rule them all in terms of if it was a headline banner on the top of a page. Everyone had committed to not allowing a case size of of, uh, on the file size, so that they could take delivery of it. That's what we used to talk about at the IAB originally, if I remember correctly. um, Just when it came to advertising formats and standardisation. So that was that was really innovative back then. Hey, everybody have the same. So I don't really have a direct answer for that question. I'm I'm sorry. I'd, I'd, I'd love to sit there and say I can crack the nut on that and say, yeah, if you all commit to going on one platform, but. There's so many different reasons that a media vendor, or particularly a startup, will use the different platforms that they do, that to try and get them to all to commit to that, I just can't see that working personally.
3: It'll need to be something that you know that the, the biggies have gone and created, and, and agencies have, have helped as well. But terms like viewability and viewability providers, there's there's brand safety and things like that, where where people have gone back in and created these techs that allow people to better communicate, okay, how many people are viewing my ad, for how long, what's it in view, etc. It'll take something like that to communicate page engagement and help Nick and his clients better see people's journey on our sites and our content and our media um, that just plugs into a tech that they have, be it, be it the, the um, DMPs or the CDPs of the world. Problem is that it doesn't exist, and and we've got other things to focus on. So coming together will, I, I, I think, bring about change, bring about excitement from a tech provider that'll go, you know what, I see a whole heap of independents over here with a need. Look, we'll all be better off for it as well. You know, there's nothing to stop the majors as well trading on engagement. You know, it it'll, it'll it'll create better content everywhere. Um, you know, if people stop looking at clickbait articles and listicles and start writing, you know, better quality content because we're all trading on engagement, then we're all better for it. Um, It'll just create somebody at the back end to go, you know what, there's an opportunity for money here. So if anybody's listening out.
0: I'm thinking, Ben, this might be your next venture.
1: uh, No. We have to wrap this up, but I'm going to give you guys uh, one minute each just to go, uh, starting with Nick about... The, the outlook or the sentiment you have for, for Indies. Is it, is it bleak? Is it a little bit less bleak than I like to portray? And where is the upside? You've got one minute each, Nick, starting with you, you know, at the big end of town.
4: Okay, and I'm not trying to be deliberately optimistic and tell people what they want to hear. I think Indies, if we look at, a, in, a, in a particularly the COVID environment and the recovering COVID environment, we have become more parochial um, as, as um, state by state, community council by council. And why that's important, and then when we look at that's before we even get into the, the levels of diversity that are spread across um, society, the societal change that we're dealing with, all the various different movements from Black Lives Matter to gender diversity um, to you know Native Indigenous people of Australia, there are so many wonderful um, areas of parochialism that are popping up where people are wanting to engage and. And the, and the mass media is going to find that difficult to cater for those individual groups. And that's why independents pop up and they find their niche, whether it's in automotive for Ben and it's a more engaged automotive platform or whether it's, you know, the work that, you know, Squizify are doing. Um, th- there, there, is a, there is a big future for independents if they can, you know, get to a certain level of scale. But it doesn't have to be. You know what we what, when we what we define scale as because I think scale is being redefined and I think um, um, there there is a there is a there is a uh, a milestone that needs to be reached of a certain level of size but that varies depending on the type of audience. Uh, the type of content that they're bringing and and how easy it is to 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 in, to engage with that audience.
1: Ben Sykes, uh, one minute. I think Nick and I got three there. I'm fully
3: optimistic. Um, but it, it's not necessarily about being independent or not. I, I, I'm not too fussed about that for me. it's it's a it's about quality content and trustful content. and people are increasingly looking for trustworthy content because it's harder and harder to find. Um, so as long as that's still the case, as long as you write quality content, Um, people will find it. Um, We just have to be innovative as to, to, you know, how we stay alive, how we grow our audience and and how we grow our commercial base.
1: Kate Watson?
0: Same, of course, always optimistic. Um, I think from an audience point of view, Nick and and Ben, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt the audience is there for independent media. Commercially, I'm optimistic too. I mean, we're running a business. We've got six people, a couple of others that are part-time. Like this is working, Um, the way we're doing it is working, the question, the big question mark is, is how we innovate and where it goes now. I'm not just optimistic. It's actually
2: proving that it, that it works.
1: How far do you want to scale up, colly Merritt? Good question.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> take over the world. Um, look, I think, I mean, one of the interesting things for us and why we're optimistic is, you know, it's niche. So there is only a, you know, certain number of people in Australia who would be interested in the kind of content that we're doing. Um, you know, when we launched we thought it was around eight hundred thousand. It's probably more now. We launched it weirdly, in the middle of a pandemic, we launched at the best possible time for business and finance content because financial markets have just gone mad. Um, but you know, there is a cap there. When we're not we're not silly about that. You know, if we if we got to a hundred we if we got to a hundred thousand subscribers and kind of you know, at least half of them were engaging very regularly. Then this is very easily uh, a profitable business. Um, what we've invested in is kind of some of the cool stuff, and you know, we're we're doing a lot more work on the product side at the moment. And once you get that tech stack right, to replicate that, you know, whether it be in another market or another vertical, um, you know, two thirds of the cost of doing it the first time are gone, and so that's where I'm I'm kind of excited about taking it but I am you know also just commercially for for right here right now um very optimistic because like Kate the same as these guys what we're doing is working it's it's quite different it's new models and and because we're small and we're really nimble if we have an idea about something um it's you know, there's no working groups and PowerPoint presentations. We just do it and, you know, nine times out of ten it works and if it doesn't, we haven't spent any time or resource on it. We just stopped doing it. Well,
1: Kylie, Merritt, great points, but you also got three minutes, so that's unfair to the other two panelists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Keenan, um, great perspectives, and, and really, really uh, shed some light for me on it. So, thanks for your thanks for your uh, time and perspective on that. And to uh, Ben Sykes, Kate Watson, and Kylie Merritt, uh, really interesting conversation. I think you know started started some more discussion there. So, thanks for joining, and um, stay tuned. We'll be back, I assume. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcast1.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.
2: Listener.